0: I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in downtown Baltimore. This episode... Okay, I don't know where to begin. I, I, there's two things I want to talk about, but I'm going to mainly talk about the one, maybe. First thing I'm going to talk about, well, let me just back up. I watched African Queens. The um I guess this season it's a it's a docu-drama hybrid um series on Netflix that is I don't know if it's produced by Jada Pickett Smith but it's definitely narrated by her. Anyhow, this first series I believe is a, about um Queen Njinga. Um, and it's really, really good. I didn't think, I go back and forth between how um, documentaries are. Um, I don't know, like t- the typical documentary is um, storytelling with some B-rolls of actors that are meant to look like the person that they're talking about, depicting a specific scene. Well in these high these hybrid dramas it's kind of like a mini movie and the b-roll a little bit well it's not even b-roll it's just with with interviews from historians and in this case an actual queen um talking about this this subject queen and in- 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 jing and jinga anyway um so anyway I, I watched the first episode it premiered on the 15th, the day after Love Day, post-Love Day. Um, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, but first, are y'all watching The Last of Us? If you're not watching The Last of Us, I don't know why. If it's because you are, have been let down before by TV or movie adaptations of your favorite um, video game, please don't let that stop you from watching it. Um, If you are someone who has an aversion to zombie movies, please don't let that stop you from watching this. Does the show deviate from the game? It does in parts, but then in other parts, it goes right back. Because at the end of the day, video games... Though the stories are pretty um, are pretty well-organized and thought out, there's just certain places you can't go in the video game because at the end of the day, you want to play a video game. You don't want to play out those little vignettes between missions. They can't be but so long. And so in a show, in a series... I, I think I shared last episode or a couple of episodes ago. I can remember between the time that I had graduated college and before I had gotten an internship um, in Syracuse, New York, I spent a month playing was it world of warcraft it was Warcraft or Diablo. It was probably it was both, I was actually playing both of those at one point. I think it was Diablo that I that I beat in one one sitting. I can't. I'm pretty sure it was probably Diablo, like two or something like that. I can't remember. Anyway, and so of course there in those in those games there's side stories and side quests and all of that stuff. But those things can't last for so long because at the end of the day you didn't get that game. You're not playing that game for the side quests. You're uh, you're playing it for the main quest. The only time like you really spend a lot of time on the side quests and the vignettes is if you've already achieved your mission. So when you're doing games, you've got to like, for the most part, you got to stick to stick to the main to the main thing. So in shows, you have the freedom to move and change. And I can't remember. I was one of my coworkers. workers She um, actually played The Last of Us. I've only watched The Let's. Plays, and to be honest with you, I only watched a few of those episodes from the first game, so I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know the entire story. I just know the beginnings because that's what that's what I remember watching. The episodes where the the person I was um, watching on the Let's Plays was playing the very first mission, I guess, which was to survive. Um, Joel and his daughter trying to survive um, anyway, or maybe not Joel and his daughter. Maybe it was Joel and um Oh Girl from the very beginning. Anyhow, but um, and so you can spend you you can just do things in, in video games you can't do in the shows. And I know that there are are a lot of folks out there that are pretty purist or have high hopes. You know how the Internet does the internet go be the internet, um, and expect in parts way more than is possible, or be mad because it gets way more than they expected? Um, and so you kind of need, just need to play to that middle, that middle core group of folks who just enjoy entertainment and will be pretty lenient as long as you try really hard to be true to the story. And the story of this thing is survival. And what I'm learning is the Joel of played by Pedro, Pedro Pascal. I keep wanting to call him Pedro, but it's Pedro. No, maybe it is Pedro. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, Pedro Pas- Pascal is different. I'm hearing that he's more compassionate played by, as played by Pedro Pascal than, it, than in the game. And I can appreciate how that might be. Although, I don't see Joel as super compassionate. Maybe he's more compassionate in the show than he is um, in the game, but like, he's still not super warm and fuzzy. He seems to me as a person who is grieving still the loss of his child, rough around the edges, from years of fighting and scrimping and trying to survive. And a lot of the... I mean, let's be for real. Like, as we were introduced in the first episode to Joe, his life was not the softest. He did not have a soft life. He was working a double on his birthday at a construction site. Even if you don't know anything about construction, you can appreciate how he might be putting in a lot of work. And then to work a double on your birthday um, seems rough. I don't know anybody. I mean, I know a couple of people who, I mean, we could take off on our birthday, but like the crowd that I flow in it, we tend to celebrate the weekend or the entire week that, if we're not gonna take off the entire week, we don't tend to take off the day um, because we're doing something else. Like that's not enough time to truly celebrate. Whereas when I was younger, Oh, yeah, I need this whole day, but I also didn't have any money to do anything else or any imagination to do much else. So anyway, that's not a knock on anybody else. It's just I mean, most of the most of the folks in my circle, we we, it's nothing to work on our birthday, but a double on our birthday, that's a bit much. That's that's a that's a bridge too far. I don't I don't think I know anybody that would be willing to work a double on, on their birthday, but then again, Joel wasn't willing. He was a single father, a single parent, who it looked like from the very beginning, was also kind of taking care of his brother. Anyhow, and so he wasn't he wasn't living a soft life to begin with, and so anything soft about him was because of his daughter. You know what I mean? And so that tragic loss of his daughter and then the years uh, 20 years um fending for his life can make anybody not pleasant right um that said he's not he's not the yeah he's not the softest person he's not the hardest person in the whole wide world because he is taking this child on a quest, this person is 14-year-old. By the way, the actress that plays, um, what's her name? What's her name? Oh, gosh, I can't call it. Uh, I'm going to go in the next segment, I'll remember, and I'll just share it. But um, the little girl, the actress that plays the little girl is actually 19 years old, which seems she plays a teenager pretty convincingly. Um, but there is a maturity in her face, regardless of how she plays this. She's doing a really great job, but there is just a certain maturity in her face that is hard to ignore. And so when you say that this actor is eight, is 19 years old, it feels about right. It attracts. Um, but anyway, I'm saying all of this. Where we meet Joe in episode three, right? Episode one was the introduction. Episode two was, um, was that that detour story? Episode three was them getting to Kansas City. And episode four, I believe episode four is, um persist and endure or something like that, some redundant phrase, but it's a redundant phrase out of a comic book that is supposed, supposed to be something that kind of grounds, At the Ellie, that's her name, Ellie, Ellie and Joel, but specifically um, Ellie, there's a, this comic book series, Savage Starlight or something like that, um, that is supposed to ground her in the, in the in the game, and so they're throwing these Easter eggs in in the show, and in this particular episode, the endure and resistant endure, or something like that, survive and endure, survive and endure. Um, it's titled that because there's that's a phrase that the characters in Savage Starlight repeat um, as a as like a mantra. It's their mantra to keep going. Um, anyway, and. There's a point in the episode where... um, Joel, and I think his name is... Daryl or something like that. I can't call it Frank. I can't remember it, but there's a black character that's introduced... um, In this series, and there's a... And he's taking care of his deaf brother. And there's a moment where... um, Where uh, Ellie and his brother... The, the, the child they're being children. Again, Ellie is 14 years old, though she's seen a lot of life. This character is 14 years old and she's still a teenager and so she does teenage stuff. Um, and then the, the, the child who is deaf, and actually this actor truly is a deaf actor, um, which I think is, is appropriate. I think, it's, I think it's appropriate and that's pretty cool to see. I just, I just, it's not hard to engage different people. It's not hard. Acting is not just for the hearing. Acting is not just for, like, (sighs) acting is for everyone. Acting is for everyone. Anyway, and I just enjoyed signing. I'm, I'm going to learn how to sign. I really am going to learn. And I know that there's a difference between American, there's a, there's a, I, I keep forgetting the, the phrases, but there's a type of sign language where you literally spell out everything. And then there's a type of sign language where you, um, gesticulate basically for lack of a better term. Anyway, I want to learn the gesticulation, um, sign language because I feel like that's more expressive and tends to be how people talk. Um, it's like conversational sign language. And, you know, when you're learning any language, wouldn't you rather learn the conversational uh, aspect of the language than the book aspect of the language? Girl, you ain't finna take no tests. I'm not taking a test. Um, And my job does not require me to sign, I'm not um, uh, speaking for somebody, I'm not an official interpreter, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes when you wanna learn a language, you just wanna learn it so that you can talk to somebody, in your life or be more helpful in your job to some folks. And so I've fallen off, but I'm learning Spanish. I need to get back on it, but I'm learning, I'm learning Spanish and I want to learn it conversationally because the people that I want to talk to are not going, you know, check me if I'm not saying this phrase specific grammatically, 100% grammatically correct. They just want to, and plus they're not—they're not caring about that because they just want help, or they just want some some direction, um, or something like that. So I, I want to learn Spanish, but specifically so that I can be understood and understand folks conversationally, not na academically. And so sign language too, like because I have—I have Spanish speakers who are who are becoming more part of my my working life, but also like. I just want to be, I just want to know it's, at this point, it's, it's, we're at a point, we've been at a point where every person in the United States should at least know one other language and it, that other language should be what's dominant in your area. And one of the most dominant behind English in, in Baltimore metropolitan area is Spanish. Um, Mandarin is the second one. Well, I don't know if it's second. Um, Arabic, uh, Farsi, is it Farsi? It's Farsi. Farsi is another very popularly spoken language in the area, and so like at this point, everybody should learn a second language. And there's nothing we we should because not because we want to be elitist, but because we should. Um, And so I guess what I'm saying is I think I want to learn a third, so Spanish and sign language. Um, But again, the 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 one that. Whose letters I can't remember, but it's gesticulation. You you use gesticulations and stuff, and you're very expressive. I be following a lot of um, is it ASL. No, ASL is American Sign Language. I'm talking about the other one. What? it Anyway. Oh, and also here's the other reason why I want to learn the one where you're more expressive. It's because I, unless I'm understanding it um, incorrectly, you it's more widely spoken because ASL is in English, whereas um, this other one is more transferable through other, um, spoken languages, I think anyway. Um, so, but anyway, I want to learn that one. So yeah, I guess what I'm saying, what I'm saying is I want to learn, I want to learn two languages. Anyhow, but getting back to this little boo-boo who is acting his little face off as a little, as a little actor, um, signing and things, but it's, Oh, gosh, it's so good. Anyway, and I just loved it. But this episode broke my heart in two. And if you haven't seen it, it comes out on Sundays. I don't know why you haven't seen it, but you need to hurry up and watch it because I'm going to just spoil the heck out of this particular episode. Joel and Ellie meet these two folks there in Kansas City, which, by the way, they're shooting in Vancouver or somewhere in, in Canada. But this particular city this particular city, wherever they're shooting, the set that they created, um, or I guess deconstructed, looks like Kansas City. And it could, you fooled me because I thought that was downtown Kansas City. I thought they was on Bruce R. Watkins, or not far from it. I thought they was off a, a, a truce downtown, um, or not very far from truce. Anyway, um, if you're from Kansas City, you probably have a better understanding than me because it's been a minute. But one, the old stomping grounds. Once upon a time, um uh, yeah, that looked like the Bruce R. Watkins, unless I'm tripping. That looked like the brute. They were they were on the Bruce R. Watkins, or they were, or at least they were that tunnel, that little tunnel piece. It looked like they were about to go under the Bruce R. Watkins. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um. So, um, yeah, so this town that they're in, this this place that used to be FEDRA, that is now fallen FEDRA, as it, it, apparently they ran up on, uh, Joel and Ellie ran up on this place 10 days after this huge takeover where starlight folk, not starlight folk, firefly people, firefly people um, captured Kansas City from FEDRA, killed all of FEDRA, and killed many of the or most of the collaborators, except for the this main collaborator who is the black guy that Ellie and um Joel run into um and his brother and the main collaborator this the woman who's in charge really wants to get him because number one they collaborated with Fedra to um get supplies that they needed and in in collaborating with them in order to get the supplies that they needed, they needed to tell on folks who were suspected to be fireflies. And so these people put their own lives at risk and at the very beginning of that fourth or fifth episode, whichever one is, um, Survive and Endure, um, they lay waste to many of the collaborators. Um... And it's so wild to me because in this dog eat dog world, like there's already a stigma in communities, communities of color, but literally just as a whole, there's already a stigma about quote unquote snitching. Right. In this world, in this imagined post-apocalyptic world where microbes have taken all over the world, um, we're even more, and again, in survival shows, they, 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 these writers tend to make us the very basic and to a fault, um, or by default, rather, worst versions of ourselves. So we will go to literally our need to fight or flight, run or fight, and get those basic necessities. And so, what they've done is they've made, they've made us seem like we would be the most feral versions of ourselves. And so this woman, instead of this woman who's apparently in charge while she's looking for the black guy, um, she's interrogating this group of collaborators and promises them that they will live if they just tell her where, The black guy is, I think it's Daryl or something. I can't remember Dude's name. Anyway, um, she gets the information from the person and then she turns around and tells her people to 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 gun them all down. Because at the end of the day, that's fewer people who are who require fewer resources. And so I, I guess I just I know it's a video game, it's a show about a video, or based on a video game, it's just seems pretty feral and harsh but then again i think that's what it's meant to do because these folks have just overthrown fedra the group that at the beginning of this outbreak took the lives of folks that they didn't know where to put didn't know where to place them that's a theme that's a theme in the very first episode up until this this most recent episode that's what Fedra did, and so in essence, the, the main woman, who is like the the leader of the Firefly fact this Firefly faction in Kansas City, is like, well, we're no different than you know. There's one thing that I agree that needed to happen, and it's that, you know, sometimes we need to use the same measures as Fedra, but we're working under a nobler purpose, I guess, is what her what her. um what her thought process is. I don't really know. But anyway, so the black, the black guy and his brother are literally trying to flee Kansas city. And so they hide out. The reason why he's he, there, that the lady is trying to find him and they're hiding out is because the black guy killed someone very important to the resistance movement. Um, and he's, and when Joel talks to him, the black guy's like, I didn't want to have to do it, but it was something that I had to do to protect my brother, and so and to protect us. And so anyway, so he hides out, and he decides that the way that he's going to hide out is he's just going to hide out and then get out of the city by going through the tunnels. But he's not a fighter, he's not a killer, um, even though he did take that one person's life. That is not something that he's accustomed to doing. Now remember, they've been living this way for 20 years, and. Fedra fell in Kansas City after having controlled it for 20 years. So for 20 years, he's just been surviving Um, and he's not been a firefly. So he don't have those skills, the same skills that um, Joel acquired over that 20 year period. And so he links up with Joel and Joel and, and, and proposes a plan that they both that the four of them Um, make it out of Kansas City through the tunnels. Um, And so they do, but not before. Obviously, they come up out of the tunnels and right at the end of the show, they are met with the Fireflies who were trying to get um, Michael the whole, or whatever the black guy's name is, the whole time. And in this ending... Two things happen. We were reminded in the first episode that, our, or the, not the first episode, but the episode that preceded this one, that Kansas City has a lot of tunnels, because it do, because of the meat market. What you guys don't, what the reason why the dude was like, there's a bunch of tunnels down here, is because Kansas City's meat market is underground, was underground, probably still is for many. Actually, there's a lot of caverns. Let me just back up. Kansas City is cavernous, completely cavernous. There are whole industrial city complexes underground in Kansas City. No, no, no joke. Just outside of Kansas City, there is a, a huge industrial complex that um, storage is down there, military storage. There's a there's industry happening down there, but it's a, it's because Missouri itself is cavernous. And there are certain things that need to be kept at a certain temperature that caves make it easy to keep it at that temperature. Because in any cave that you go into, most caves don't go above a certain temperature. So you could be in the middle of the hottest part of August and go in a cave and it'd still be 45 degrees. And you still you need a jacket to be in there because it's just hot. I mean, it's just cold um, because of the depth that you're going in the ground. And so anyway, Kansas City is cavernous. Missouri is cavernous, but specifically in Kansas City, there's a lot of people people who boat on um, Lake Char- not Lake Charles, but, um oh, I forgot the name of that big old lake in Missouri. Lake of the Ozarks, we just call it, You've if you've ever watched Ozarks, it's that lake, the Lake of the Oz- Ozarks and other big, ma- nasty lake. Truman, Truman Lake is what I'm thinking of. Truman Lake or any other big fat, nasty lake um in in Missouri you got you you have these big old honking boats right, but some of the the rich fat cats a- in Kansas City need to put those big nasty honking boats somewhere, and so they put it underground um and they put it in the big old caves and so that's why um they were going through the tunnels in Kansas City because there's so many of them tunnels and caves and all of that stuff because again these what I'm telling you, think of any any large massive place you can think of and now put it underground and that is sometimes depending on what you're what you're going into there's um that's how big the caves are in Missouri anyway um so they go through the tunnel system, they get out, and one thing we learn is that Kansas City has a Infection problem, but it's underground. They got it above ground, but did not handle it below ground. And apparently, this episode, uh, Survive and Endure, um, is is the point at which you, we introduce the mutated the mutated um, fungi people. So it's not just the fungus that's controlling the person anymore. The the fungus is the person now. Um, and so there's these big old and monstrous things that because of an in- the incident, I told you at the end of the episode, um, the fireflies caught up with Ellie Joel and the black guy and his brother, um, his, his baby brother, because they wanted the black guy. Um, and so anyway, there's this massive firefight that, um, happens because, um, Ellie, No, Joel hits one of the tankers that was trying to run over Ellie um, and the crew. And he was successful. And the tanker hits, the, slams into a house, explodes. And then after a couple of minutes begins to sink into the ground because again, Kansas City is cavernous and even the Kansas City area is cavernous. And so you've got these homes in the city sitting on top of a bunch of different cave systems. And what has believed has happened is that the infected, who've been living now for 20 years underground, have, be- have been digging to the surface. And this opportunity for the, the, the truck sinking is the opportunity to open up this massive cave where the infected, these mutated infected now come out and they start to run roughshod over the fireflies, which is a metaphor for so many different things. But I guess if we were to choose in this one instance, the, the leader of the fireflies in Kansas City had the opportunity to address this problem because she, her, her number one, her lieutenant showed her that they were trying to pop out in certain places that they were that they were essentially crawling themselves out from underneath the ground. Um, and they were probably gonna overrun the city if they weren't too doggone careful because the uh, federal was not as attentive as they should have been. And plus they were preoccupied with trying to um, fight the fireflies. So anyway, she ignored, she ignored this very real problem that needed some urgency to pursue the black guy because she she wanted that get back she needed that vengeance and that vengeance came right on back to her because she got hers in the end from um, one of the mutated monster um, spore people and then the four, the four get out they make it out and they make it to this, ho- this hotel in probably Kansas City, Kansas at this point And come to find out, little boy got bit. And Ellie, believing that her blood is magical, cuts herself and rubs her blood on the spot where the little boy got um, bitten. And the little boy asks her to stay up with him all night. And so just to make sure that he doesn't turn. And so she does except she falls asleep in the morning and she wakes up and she sees the little boy sitting on the bed. Meanwhile, Joel and the black guy, the other black guy, or Joel and the other guy are laid out still sleeping. And the night before they decide, yeah, Joel and Ellie were going to go to Wyoming. You can come too, because they're going to get Joel's brother. Um, and so, You can come too, and um, the black guy's like, yeah, 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 fresh start, let's just do this. Yep, sounds like a good plan. Girl, so Ellie, but, so they fall asleep. It's the next morning, Ellie wakes up, because remember she was supposed to stay woke with the little boy who's been teaching her sign, a little bit of sign language. They mostly been using these little scratch pad to talk to each other, but he's been teaching her some sign language. Anyway, so she wakes up and she realizes he's just up sitting on the bed. Mm -hmm. She looks, she tries to get his attention, turns around, comes to find out he didn't, he's fully taken over by the spores. And so he begins to attack her. She runs out towards where Joel is. Joel tries to grab his gun to get the little boy because he's clearly infected and needs to be put down. The, um, the guy is like, nah, don't do that. And he point, he grabs the gun and points it at Joel and then points it at Ellie. And then he's looking. Um, meanwhile, his little brother is still trying to fight to get to Ellie and, the guy ends up shooting his brother in the head and he's stunned for a second and Joel's trying to get the gun from him because it's a lot, it's a lot. Because what we get is that his, he didn't want anybody to take his brother out but him and so he does it because it was the right thing to do. But then he has to live with what he's done And it turns out he doesn't want to live with what he's done. And so he turns the gun on himself and takes his life right in front of Ellie and Joel, who at this point, there's no, we know that Ellie has taken a life before. And at this point, she's already taken another one. She's taken a life in front of Joel to save Joel. And so in this moment, she's seen a lot. We know Joel Joel, the biggest heartache that Joel has suffered was 20 years ago when his daughter was taken from him. And so in this moment, they're both startled as any human being would be. But they're so. I will say this. Ellie is a little bit more desensitized than Joel because we don't know what kind of life Ellie had, but it don't sound like it was a great one. Ellie was born. Ellie is 14. Remember this pen, this thing that happened was over 20 years ago at this point. So Ellie doesn't know life before. Ellie does not know life before the spore outbreak. She only knows this life. And so again, we don't know what horror she's witnessed. We know that she's used a gun before. We know she's used it on someone before, and so she took a life at the beginning of the last or the end of the last episode. And so, to see a life being taken in front of her while it makes you cringe and tears your heart out, the fact that she is the one that's ushering Joel to go on after he ends up burying both um, the the guy and his brother. Ellie leaves a note saying, "I'm so sorry." And then she bonks out and she's basically like, come on, Joel, we got to go walk to Wyoming now. Because she doesn't seen a lot of stuff. And this is just one more reminder. Like Joel has seen a lot of stuff too, but he knew life before all of this. And so that's the difference. It's the difference in age. Because at this point, Joel is in his 50s. And Ellie is still a teenager, but also they've just lived completely different lives and all Ellie has known has been this experience. And so her trauma response is different than Joel's. And it, that, this whole episode, that ending, I was not expecting it to go the way it went. But this is just a testament to good writing. I think it's good writing. And I also think in this world where we are our base, base ourselves... What are you going to do? They got to keep moving. There's an outbreak. They don't know where those spore people are. They don't have a car anymore. The truck was t- totaled. They can't even get one in Kansas City no more because it's overrun at this point by those spore people. And they just got to keep heading west, keep trying to find Tommy. So anyway, that episode was wild to me. I hope, I'm sorry I spoiled it for you, but I just had to get that off my chest. That's some good writing. Do you hear me? Some great writing. Good story. Good story. Good acting. I'm hooked. I'm hooked. I know a lot of people are are frustrated with the pacing of the show and the side stories and stuff and and all of that, but it's entertaining for me not being totally um married to the subject matter, but just going along with this story. Or there's the source material. I'm not married to the source material. But going along with the story, again, if you are not a zombie person, this is not gonna this isn't gonna creep you out. But there are some hard things that you go through. Um if you don't like game adaptations of shows, this is you I'm sure you're gonna have an an attitude or two for a period of time, but I, I would just invite you to just let all of that go and then Watch the show for what it is, because there's you're going to miss some good stuff, some good writing, some good bonding between Joel and Ellie taking you on this journey. If you've if you've played both iterations of the game or I guess both seasons, I don't know, it's two versions. It's 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 game one and game two, I think. And anyway, so, you know where the story is going, but you what you don't know is how it's going to get there. And the getting there, I think, is the fun part. Because, spoiler alert, my um coworker told me, for the most part, the what Ellie and Joel go through. But I'm the type of person that, that you telling me how it could end does not stop me from continuing to want to watch it to see how they get to the end. And so, anyway, I'm excited. I'm in. I'm invested. Anyway, all right, in the next segment, enough about that. In the next segment, it's all about um, African queen in Jenga. Um, and that first episode that I talked about and, um, yeah, so it recently came out. So spoilers, just pause this and go watch it and then come back and listen to it. If you're interested in it, I'm going to spoil aspects of it or the, the overall aspect of the, of what's happening, but I'm also going to talk about a number of different things too. So stay tuned. And thanks for listening. If this is your first time, thanks so much for listening. Share this with somebody you think might dig it. Um, this is a hobby of mine. I appreciate any anything you can do to help spread the reach of this thing. Um, I just appreciate you. So anyway, in the next segment, it's all about African Queen um, Jenga episode one. Okay, so I spoiled one thing um, for you. So why not spoil another episode for you? So African Queens and Jenga, um, season one, premiered um, February 15th, the day after Love Day, um, narrated by Jada Pinkett Smith on um, Netflix. netflix um What do I want to say? So... There are a total of four episodes. I've seen the first. Um, and what do I want to say? So, so it's narrated by Jada Pickett Smith. Um, Queen Njinga is played by um, Ades- Adesua Oni. Um, hold on. I need to get into the cast. Hold on. Let me go back up to cast. Okay. Let me do it. Let me do it that way. Oh, girl. Okay, because it's not a Hollywood film, you're not going to make it easy for me, are you? Um, Well, I told you who played Queen Njenga. Oh, here we go. All right. Uh, Narrated by Jada Pickett-Smith. Oh, executive produced by Jada Pickett-Smith as well, and Miguel Melendez. Um, Terrence, uh, Terrence Carter... Um Sahara Butte, girl, if you don't get out of my face with this pop-up ad, and Jane Root okay, so that doesn't tell me the freaking cast and crew now do it there's some other executive producer, guess what, I don't care and oh my gosh, it's literally just talking about the crew y'all are wild to me oh, this is so silly Alright, anyway, um, well I told you who, who the queen was. Um I guess that's really all that matter. Um, it's so very new. Um t- t- what else do I want to say about her? Alright, so this series, let me just give you this series in um info. The rise and reign of Queen Njinga of Angola amid family betrayal. and political <laughs> bless me, political rivals. <laughs> okay, so let me just let me just do this since I'm not getting what I need to. Queen Njinga. Um, let me just, let me just give you some background. Let me do the old, the good old gooks right quick, because, um, I will tell you this, the reason why I wanted to watch this, even though I saw, I saw the trailer maybe a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't sure that I wanted to watch it, but I think the reason why I wanted to watch it is number one, Woman King, because I still very much love that, um, movie. But then also I had seen, um, a printed rendering, like a painting of Queen N' Um, But I didn't I didn't know that that was her name. How about that? Um, and so this so when I saw this um, I think, what, what happened? What made me want to watch it? Other than Jada Pinkett Smith narrating it. I think I had seen the rendering being associated, that, that same rendering that I had seen when I was just generally looking up African queens um, throughout the history of the continent, um, or at least the recorded queens throughout the history of the continent. Um, I had seen her picture right um, right next to the picture of Queen, um, what is it, Aoife? Queen Aoife. Y'all know Queen Eva, Is it? Hold on, Aoife, Queen Aoife, No, Queen Ioma. It's it's Queen Ioma. Ioma. No, Edia. E. Yes, Queen Edia. Okay, everybody has seen a picture, a, a, re- a rendering of Queen Edia. You might not know that that's her name, but you've seen it. Anytime you've ever walked into a shop that's owned by, whose proprietors are um, Nigerian, West African, East, actually mostly West African, let's be for real. If you've walked into a West African um, shop before, no matter where you are, you have seen, or, or better yet, if you've gone to an African American festival, if you've been into a Pan-American or um, Afrocentric shop at all, you have seen this rendering of, it appears to be a woman's face with a broad nose, very big lips. There's two um, markings right um, in the middle of her forehead, like two long lines in the middle of her forehead that are vertical. Ver- two long vertical lines in the middle of her forehead. If you have ever seen that rendering, that's Queen Edia. And she's the mother of Asigi, uh, who reigned the oba, who, who reigned as Oba. Remember, Oba is the king or that, that great leader. If you watched the woman king, you know that the Oba was played by that pretty man um, who played in Star Wars, whose name I've forgotten, but he got pretty lips. Anyway, um, But, um, was the mother of Esige, uh, Esige, uh, who reigned as Oba of the Edo people from 1504 to 1550, right? Um, she essentially, the reason why we see her face is because she was very, she was a beloved person, number one. Number two, she was named, her name, she was called Queen Mother because, not just because she was the queen, the, the mother of the king. But she was a well-beloved person. She also ensured that her son, she secured her son's rule and reign. And to be honest with you, many people thought she was the, or at least historians talk about her like the people and many of the neighboring communities looked at her as the power behind the throne. And so for, there's a school of thought that says she was also the symbol of beauty. Um, If you're on TikTok, there's this particular um, there's this particular site or this uh, creator content creator channel um, that creates 3D or what is it IA moving IA pictures of paintings and um, so the picture of uh, Edia it's like an art it's like a museum actually that has this uh, website or that has this page and anyway they bring pictures of ancient figures to life in 3d form Um, they've done um napoleon they've done um caesar and they've done queen edia um taking that image again i know you have earrings you've got earrings that have her face in it sometimes people have switched it up and, and made it into Um, Had her have an afro, but most of the times it's literally just her face. Again, Idia, I'm saying Idia, maybe it's Idea, I don't know. Um, It's spelled I D I A. Anyway, you have seen her face before, you just didn't know what you were looking at. Anyway, I've been enamored with her for the longest because I thought it was pretty cool that she was so important, so important that her image has survived. Long after entire civilizations knew her, not just her family, not just her enemies, whole civilizations have come and civilizations have come and gone, and yet her face endures. And so that's one of the things that that got me on my quest to looking into um, queens who ruled in African communities and, and, and countries. And in doing that, I stumbled upon, In Jenga, only I didn't know that that was her name. Um, And again, in that painting where... How best to describe it? So in the image that I remember seeing, she is cloaked. It's almost as if someone who was from Europe came and painted her. Because she's actually kind of stylized to look like a European queen in that she has a crown that sits atop her head, um... It's gold at the base and then other decorative things at the top of it, and then she's got this cloak around her. And the crown and the cloak, to me, evoke what European queens look like, but the thing that makes her African, Ellen, an African queen is the colors, the robust colors. You know that Europeans used color but it was mostly purples and blues and golds and stuff. And I know that they use red in that stuff too, but, and maybe even green, but you know that through history, the ways in which communities of color, kingdoms of color, queendoms of color, whatever, um, civilizations of color used actual color was different, like more vibrant and more creative, Um, largely because in a lot of things, in a lot of ways I'm quite sure they were just matching to I don't know, maybe matching to their complexion. I don't really know, but dang going it. They they colors were banging, colors were vibrant. And so in this relief, this this image of her, while I noticed that it, it felt to me that she was styled like a European queen. So like somebody white, somebody European was painting her in the image of how they saw her, like she was still very much uniquely an African queen. And I always thought she was so regal. And and the way in this image, they have her looking over her shoulder and clutching her cape. No, no, she's not clutching her cape. I always thought that she was clutching her cape. It's actually just pinned on one side to show her arm that has a gold band on it. And she has um, a a necklace that's some jewels on it. You get the sense that it's some sort of jewels. Because remember, um, African communities, actually most, Communities of color didn't actually, didn't have coin money. They had precious rubies, and uh, precious jewels, sorry, precious jewels as their currency. Um, You know that in African countries, in communities before they were considered countries, um, the cowrie shell was currency. And so anyway, when you look at her, you can only, assume, she's, you see, you distinctly see gold. You also see this sapphire or maybe lapis blue colored thing around her neck and then these red earrings in her ear. And again, you can only assume that the red jewels at her earlobes are rubies and that the, shoot, even the, um, or or that the, the necklace around her neck is sapphires. And then she's got this brooch that's holding her cloak that is has saf sapp- it looks to have rubies and sapphires laid in gold uh, a gold brooch um and maybe the top of her cloak is fur line and stuff like that so anyway i remember and and that her armband is gold with um rubies and sapphires inlaid in the gold and so I just I always thought that she looked so regal, even though she felt it felt like she was styled like a European queen. And maybe that was maybe that's my own bias and my own um Yeah, maybe that's my own bias, but that's just the way I I, I remember seeing her. But anyway, her full name is Ngiza N'goza. No. Njinga. Well, where does Njinga come from? So Nzinga Ana de Souza Mbade, so it's the same woman, I just don't, maybe they just say it differently. Maybe different languages have her name saying something different. Anyway, Nzinga Ana de Souza Mbade was a Southwest African ruler who served as queen of the Ambundu kingdoms of Ndogo and Mataba, located in present day Northern Angola. Okay, so, girl, let me say. So, what they know is that she was born in Angola. She died December 17, 1663, in the kingdom of Mbatamba. So, what makes her so special? Why is there a Netflix documentary about her right now? Well, because The Woman King isn't actually fantasy. The Woman King movie, though it is... um, based in real events but it's a sat it's a it's a hollywood movie there were real queens that existed in the continent of africa that really did rule things patriarchal society is I, i won't say that it's a uniquely european concept because even in europe there were from what i understand about history and, and different communities in Ireland and Scotland, there were women leaders who were accepted, more accepted than Queen Elizabeth and her reign, or anybody uh, that, what Queen, Queen um, what's her name? Cat, Catherine, I don't remember, her mama, her grandmother, even more than her grandmother, um, and Mary, Queen of Scots and all of them, like, sh- the Queens, the other Queens that existed across the globe, especially Queens of color, while I'm sure they didn't have it totally. So, you know, I got cut off anyway. you know life happens anyway so what i was saying was while the queens of color didn't have all the rights and privileges always everywhere around you know the kingdoms where they ruled or the the communities that they ruled over what we know is that in certain communities women of color queens were given Different rights. I'll say it that way. Different rights. But male supremacy is a thing in history. While, again, while women had it, um, were able to create their own spaces, it wasn't a total utopia all the time. Because people are going to people at the end of the day. So anyway, enter the story of Ngozi. Okay. All right. So. Why this story is important? Why it was why this is a perfect backdrop for um, the woman king and any other specifically specific to the African diaspora story about queens? Is that Ngozi was not just um, a privileged person; she was a warrior. So think of it this way: so you know, in all the superhero movies, or at least even actually even. When you look at queens, what's what's her name? There's an Irish queen or a Celtic queen. I cannot remember her name, but she was known as a warrior queen, right? That's that's how I'm going to reference it. She was known as a warrior queen. They had her looking all crazy, painted up and whatnot, hair all over the place. Probably she had uh, matted up hair looking like locks and whatnot, but oh my gosh, I can't Oh, it's right there on the tip of my tongue. It's gonna, it's gonna bother me, but I'm gonna leave it because the the main idea is to give you that reference point. If you don't know anything about African queens, look at it from the perspective of a, of of that Irish queen that everybody likes to make a mil. There's like a million documentaries about it, right? Where she's always out there fighting, and even in movies that included. Um, celtic communities there was always a woman portrayed as like an assassin right okay well think of it that way but like and then amplified like a million times because this was a princess ngozi was a princess right i said ngozi and jenga was a prin- was a princess and you probably don't even pronounce the n jenga was a princess who was a fighting princess She was a warrior princess she knew what she was doing she had somebody um uh as the documentary, or at least the first episode, shared out, she though she had a very privileged life, but she was a working princess. She was a working royal, um, meaning that she was playing diplomat. You know, she was teaching. She was the eldest of her three siblings, or, or at least of the girls um, from his father's one union, and I guess the 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 union with. Um, Ingola, uh, nope. What's her mama's name? The heck was her mama's name? Oh, Kanjala. Can- Can- Kangela, Kangela. And so, which is a first, which is an actual wife. That's going to matter in a minute. Not a concubine, but a wife of the king, Ingola Kilomba Kia right? N'Gola. let me just go with Angola, because um, I don't want to butcher that man's name anymore. So Angola was the king, and N'Giza. oh my gosh, I'm literally saying everything but her name, Inzinga or um, Njenga is as is pronounced in the um, in the doc. She was more royal than most of his children because he had tons of kids, but she was one of the. She was the child of one of his actual wives, which made her claim, her secession claim, stronger. Now you understand that secession, secession powers. We talk, hearing about it with Harry and whatnot, talking about he got this, um, his his book called Spare, because he's the spare royal. Should something happen to William, here come Harry. Anyway, anyway, enough of, enough of European kings and queens and all of that stuff. Let's go back to Njinga. okay so in jenga was that deal she had uh, living in the lap of luxury for the most part but still very much a working royal um in her in in the kingdom um very close with her father but also like but close in a way that like hey i got you i have got your back i'm i'm with you anyway so the reason why there's a whole doc about her is because of we know that she becomes queen duh the whole thing is african queens in jenga right? But the how that she becomes queen is the trip of, as I'm understanding the story, I watched the doc, I watched the first episode and then I went and looked it up. Her story is cold blooded. Let me tell you. All right. So by the time she's around 35 years old, her father is dead. Dead. The doc will tell you, the Netflix doc will tell you that it was likely someone, it, the call was coming from inside the house. If you just generally look up, there's a bunch of different theories, but what we know is that her father dies, full stop, which means that there's somebody that needs to ascend by this time, ascend to the throne, because also by this time, Kanjala, her mother, has passed away too. So it was King, it, it was Ingola, um, Injenga. Um, her brother, s- 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 ooh, let me get to it. Let me get to it. Um, N'gola, M'andi, M'bandi. Yeah. So it was N'jinga, um, N'gola M'bandi. I think they just called him Bandi. And there were some other folks. Oh yeah. That's, this, this is where it is. There were some other people. Who were the children of Ingola, right? But remember what I told you: Ingzinga um, was closer to the line of secession because she was a child of Ingola's uh, actual wife, or one of actu- his actual wives. Um, her brother, Ingola um, Mbande, Was the mother was a child of one of his of Angola's concubines, so he had a claim to the throne, but it was less strong than Zinga's, and so, nevertheless, what the doc says is following the death and very closely following the death of um, Angola. Which again, um, the doc alludes to it being foul play. It was call was coming from a house. It wasn't an enemy. Um, uh, Ngola Mbande starts killing off the offspring of his father. He stops short, though, of in kill, of killing Inzenga and her siblings, her two sisters, right? Because I remember I told you, she was the eldest of three from um, Kenjala and Ingola, uh, right? Um, and then Ngala Mindabe is the son of another woman, um, but not a wife. And so anyway, so uh, Ingola Mbande just starts killing off his siblings, stopping short of killing N'Zenga and, um, her siblings. But N'Zenga, and here's, here's another thing. I, I guess I, I forgot to, to mention this. So N'Zenga was not married, but she did have a child because she had a concubine, a male concubine that, that, you know, a boo um, didn't want to be, um, Husband, not husband material, you know what I mean, but was a boo thing to her, and so anyway, so she had a son. So Ngoza Ndambe, um, m- m- what am I? I'm messing this man's name up. Do you hear me? Because it's important. Ingola Mbande does not kill Injenga and her siblings, but he does order the murder of Injenga's young son. And when I say he was young. I think the the reports, he was definitely a child. He wasn't a teenager. Maybe he was 10, maybe he was a little bit younger than that. The documentary suggests that he was a toddler, something like a a toddler, not quite a newborn, but definitely not not like six or seven. And so the the, the documentary makes it seem like um, she was distracted. Like he spared her seeing the death of her child but um, by having her like drugged or something like that so that the, the child can be spirited away. Um, but her sisters, either way, her sisters witnessed it according to the doc. That is not anything that has come up in my research, but again, I'm I, look, I'm internet Googling. These people in the doc, I, I would imagine have done a heck of a lot more than internet Google. Anyhow, um, so dude spares her but kills her child. And I just need to pause right there. If you big and bad enough to kill all of your siblings, that would pose a legitimate threat to you ascending to the throne. And you decide, how how do you come to the conclusion that, oh, I'm not going to take my sibling out. I'm going to take my sibling's child out. Not only my sibling, but my sibling that has the strongest claim to ascending to the throne. I'm not going to take her out. I'm going to take her child out. Now that is some flawed logic for you. Because I just don't know why you would not think that if you took a person's child from them but kept them alive, that they would not find the power from deep within their soul to get they get they um uh, to get they lick back. And I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like it's it's um yeah. This isn't funny, but like, do you get what I'm saying? The, the silliness within you and the, 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 the limited thinking ability you might possess or at the very least, the short sightedness that you are living through, that you, in your infinite wisdom, you keep the mama alive, but, but, but take her child as if that ain't gonna do nothing. She is literally, she is the one that has the strongest claim to your throne, not to mention she is the strongest person of your siblings that you chose to keep alive. He killed everybody else, but her and her two siblings. Why did he not kill her two siblings? Well, why didn't he not kill her? Because she's popular, Nzinga was popular. Um, Cause again, she was a working royal. She was about that life. She worked right alongside daddy, just like Nzinga and Bande. Um, But she had a stronger claim to, to the throne, as I mentioned. But old dude um, doesn't kill her because she's, she, he doesn't kill her because he's um, well-beloved and he doesn't want to cause more turmoil in the kingdom. But he also does not kill her sisters because he knows that's a bridge too far. Again, so if you know, I just, the, the logic is bad. If you know you can't wipe out her sisters because she really going to come after that tale, why did you think wiping out her son would not elicit the same response? Now, mind you, in the doc, what preceded this incident? The whole purging, because they called it bloodletting. And what I looked up, they called it bloodletting or, or cleansing or whatever. All that means is you've just thinning out the, the possible people who could claim, who could claim ascension to the throne before him. Um, which we seen worse in Game of Thrones, let's be for real. House of Dragons, what are you talking about? Anyway, um, so bef- what preceded those dastardly events was in the dock, him saying, I'm going to get all of them. I'm going I'm to get all of them people who, who took out my father. And Jenga's response was, no, no, don't do that. Let them go on home. Let them think they safe. Let them think they got over on us. Let, it, let them think that we're weak. And when they start, and let, let them begin to build families, build empires, build generations. And just when they think, like literally, get, get, you know, start getting, making babies and stuff, and go on about their day. And she said, just when they think it's over, that's when we get them. Because, again, they think we weak. They think we soft. We They're going to run roughshod over us. We ain't finna get nobody. Okay. Well, let them think that. But then we get them when their guard is down. That's what her response was to her father being murdered. That's the coldest, coldest version of, of premeditated, premeditated crime I've ever heard of in my life. Let them just. I'm she, cause she playing a long game. She like that's that's years, that's months to years, and just when they think they safe, that's when we get them. because they sleeping on us. That was her response that preceded that fool. And I'm calling her brother a fool because that was foolhardy what he did. So then he begins to do begins to do the bloodletting. Does not kill Nzinga, who came up with that cold, cold blooded, so cold blooded. I could not make it up. Revenge plot. Stop short of killing her, but kills her son. And then I guess because of the laws of the land, she can't challenge him because if she were to challenge him, his his the army and other servants would turn against her because he's now the king. And he know he not she not finna do nothing foolish. So he she, she he is she's still the princess because she family, but she gonna do his bidding because it's his kingdom now. Talking about uh, Angola uh, Mbande. And so in the doc, Angola Mbande is on the throne, but he's proving to be a very um, restless, very unfocused leader. And he's literally just letting it off on anybody and he's, he's very unfocused. Um, and so he's, he's Launching into these military campaigns that are leaving the kingdom, the overall kingdom weak, and so, um, so in the dock, Injenga initially asked Ingola Mbande, can she go after to recruit these missionary, uh, not these missionaries, but these mercenary um, tribe of of killers to bond with them to get this other mercenary tribe of killers because they believe this particular mercenary tribe of killers, not only did they kill her father or they were part of the plot to kill her father, but they're also working with the Portuguese to enslave Africans, to enslave, well, they weren't calling it Africa at the time, what they were calling it was, um, they were enslaving communities, right? Working with uh, the Portuguese. And so anyway, so there's a whole backstory about those. You know, I, I, again, we love to think of of Africa and the tribes that lived there, their communities, the kingdoms that lived there as monolithic, but they weren't. They're d- d- territorial, just like anyone else. And so you just you had try you you had communities that all they did they were fighting fighting and fighting for the highest bidder and all about survival for themselves. And then there were whole communities that that were like the center of the universe, just like um, Angola or more advanced, or at least more diplomatic. I'll say it that way, diplomatic. Um, and so that was Angola's um, and Jenga's community. And so anyway, um, so yeah, so the point at which, the pointed, And I told you, she's 35 at this time. Um, oh shoot, this is something that I'm, I'm reading just now. So not only did she, she spared Nzinga and spared her sisters, killed her son, but they, he also, it's alleged that um, Angola Mbande sterilized, forcibly sterilized her two sisters so that they could never have children again. Oh, her too. Oh shoot, that's terrible. Um okay. So so while in, um Bande is trying to consolidate his all all his power and, and making these rash decisions according to the doc um um initially Nzinga asks uh Bande to go and find this other branch of the mercenary tribe he says no because i need everybody to go and go on these other conquests that again and jenga was like that's foolhardy you a fool because he really a fool because she's like i'm gonna get my lick back i'm gonna get my lick back but it's gonna be a minute because this revenge is gonna be served cold as ice so anyway he tells her no initially but she's like you not finna you already spared my life this is what i'm thinking now you spared my life once because you know that you didn't want the you you didn't want smoke from the community. Well, you're not finna take my life now because you didn't already spared my life and you didn't took from me. So what you gonna do? Kill me? You can only get me once. So anyway, um, so she bonks out and she goes and, and and takes her people, leaves her sisters behind, and um, knows that in, in Gola uh, in Gola Mbaze is gonna keep them safe. So she goes and finds these missionaries, which she do um, comes back with the missionaries and comes to find out that Ngola Mbande had done lost the capital city girl, lost the capital city, most of his soldiers. And here she come back like the triumphant woman that she was. Cause she said she was going to get the mercenaries to ultimately get her get back on that. Those people that took her father out. And she did just what she said she did. And it took her a couple of years by a couple. I mean, three took her three years to do it, but she did that. And so, where episode, where the first episode ends, she didn't come back and her brother didn't run the kingdom into the daggone ground because, again, he's unfocused and leading his people into these military campaigns that are fruitless and he's lost lots of warriors. And so, we're entering into the space where N'Giza, N'Giza, oh my gosh, Jenga, gonna have to, gonna have to step up, gonna have to come on in. So, um the backdrop of all of this oh cuz again it, it not only does uh imb- I guess I'm just going to call them Mbande instead of Ngolo Mbande Mbande is still very much an av- their kingdom is an adversary of Portugal. They are not collaborators, they are adversaries of Portugal cuz they know what they on. They know what type of time Portugal's on. They're trying to enslave people and ship them off to um the modern day Brazil, we know that. And they knew it at the time. And so in this moment with Mbande being weak and unfocused, this is the point at which Ingeza um, really steps into focus. And so where I leave this conversation is, and cause this is essentially where the first episode leaves us, she's about to start her ascent into her kingdom. I'm predicting if you you probably rush ahead and see you know Mbande finna finna go off and and his story is not going to end well because he's a fool and a fool with money and power and and anger and hatred just breeds more chaos and they never end it never ends well with them um but yeah so ooh let me just tell you ooh. Oh my goodness, all right, well, let me just, well, I, you know where this is going. So Mbanda gets put to the side and in walks in Jenga and it's the how she gets over on, not gets over, but she um, wins, defeats the Portuguese. We understand that the Portuguese, the Dutch, them doggone Dutch, oh my goodness. King Leopold III is the, the scourge of the freaking planet. Do y'all know anything about King Leopold? If you do not know jack about King Leopold, only know that this Dutch person acquired his wealth and made D- Dutch. What is Dutch? Um, what's the shoot? Not, I forgot the country he was coming from, but he was Belgian. Belgium, Belgium Queen. King Leopold III, I guess, I think it's how it was. King Leopold, King Leopold III of Belgium. When I tell y'all, rubber, just think rubber. Rubber was his the export that he was getting out of the Congo. How did he get it? Google it. Because the fact that we don't talk about King Leopold III like we talk about Hitler is beyond me right now. The fact that we don't talk about Leopold III as as much as we talk about chattel slavery is beyond me. I understand from the uni- the US the Black American perspective why we talk about the uh, transatlantic the transatlantic slave trade because of the way it impacted us and broke up families and, and, and forced us to create a whole new culture. I understand that. I even understand why you might not even talk about that if you're in Brazil or if you're in, in the Caribbean. I understand why you would not talk about the Congo and the just pillaging that King Leopold did. But my goodness, you really wanna understand, like this is why reverse racism will never be a thing. This is why there's no such thing as reverse racism, because we're talking about centuries of systemic abuse and subjugation. Come on, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as reverse racism. Only there are people that you that that of color that have power that um, you don't like using it the same way that a terrible white person would be using it. Now that conversation has its, the conversation of being terrible with power has its place, but like for anybody to say that reverse racism is a thing, baby, you're going to have to undo centuries, maybe not centuries, hundreds of years because uh, um, people have the capacity, human beings have the capacity to wreak a whole lot of havoc in a short amount of time. So let's call it a thousand years. Maybe not even a thousand. Let's call it eight hundred years. Simultaneously, different different communities of power, different countries in power, are just pillaging, pillaging people that they decided were inferior to them. Anyway, I got off on a tangent, but N'Gis and in- Injenga led her people in very specific ways against the Portuguese, which is a very just dis- just dastardly colonizing power that is responsible for much of the colonization of South America, um, for, and just directly taking people from the West. And um, so anyway, among others, right? So anyway, how I wanna say so much more, but this is a whole other conversation that I'm not getting into, cause it's about Queen Njinga. Anyway, I say again, there is a reason why Woman King was so popular, why there was even a movie like that, and why there were parallels to Njenga and other African queens, but in this context, Njenga, it's because she was that deal. Again, anybody that would come up with cold-blooded military campaigns like she did, that's something to behold there. Now, I'm not glorifying violence, but my goodness, if you want to be strategic, baby, revenge is best served cold not hot you miss things when you're hot anyhow um i think it's worth watching again i was a little bit hesitant to watch it initially because i just i wasn't sure what i was going to get with the whole doc movie hybrid but i really really like it because in jenga because again i've been enamored with in jenga for so long um didn't even understand her true power too, by the way, didn't know what I was calling her. Just was enamored with that beautiful portrait of that woman that I knew to be a queen, but I didn't understand. I didn't understand it. Um, but my goodness, what a story, what a lineage and tradition, not to mention, I think it's a good, it's a, it's a, I think it would be important for you to watch the doc, if nothing else, to hear from some of the people talking. The, they lean on a lot of black women in this, which is which is, I, I just love. But the fact that you're listening, you're hearing from a queen um, in this conversation is pretty great as well. And she looks awesome too. Anyhow, so that's my pitch for African queens, um, queen um, in Giza for you to watch that Netflix doc. Not all Netflix docs are good. I understand that. They're not all created equal, but this one is pretty doggone awesome. I'm glad I watched it. And now I want you to watch it as well. And then I also want you to look up uh, queen, uh, queen and Giza as well as Idea, Queen Idea, cause my goodness, her story, very interesting. They called her queen mother. She endured. Anyway, 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 anyway. All right, well, that is the show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for sharing this with anybody you think might oh, dig it. Thank you for rating and reviewing this thing. Four or five stars are better. Leaving positive reviews on any of the apps that you listen to um, the show on because that'll ultimately help spread the reach. Um, I th- I've shared before that I've got listeners in the UK, Canada, of course, Mexico, parts of South Africa, um, parts of um the Mideast too, which I think is pretty doggone cool. Um, and Asia, which I think is cool too. So keep sharing, um, engage with me in ways that make sense. I appreciate you. Take care of yourself, please. And thank you until next time.